Remember this word, depraved. Depraved, what does it mean? Perverse behavior, lacking moral decency, morally corrupt, wicked. I noticed you, you never hear it really anymore because it's not really outstanding. It seems like so much is depraved in our world. But it occurred to me that it is the perfect word, especially after what I saw today for Joe Biden. He is depraved. This is a depraved man. What he did and what he's done. But you know about the three soldiers who were killed in Jordan, right? Three heroes. I want to talk about the one in the middle, Kennedy Sanders, uh, just 23 years old. And, well, her family is obviously devastated by the loss. Now, uh, Joe Biden called the family, and there were television cameras in the room when that phone call came in. And, uh, well, Joe said some things that were just not true said it to the wrong people at the wrong time. Take a look. The parents overcome with emotion when the president reveals how their daughter will be honored. We're promoting her posthumously to sergeant. Oh, wow. That is the best news I've heard today. Thank you so much. You don't know how much that means to us. Oh, well, I tell you what, it means a lot to, not to me. Uh, my son's been a year in Iraq until I lost him, and uh, I, uh, you know, 1%, 1% of all these kids are the ones that really uh, take care of 99% of us. Even in a moment like that, Joe makes it about himself, and he throws dishonesty in. My son spent a year in Iraq. That's how I lost him. That is not true. That is what could be called stolen valor. Have you heard about stolen valor? It's also something that you don't hear about too much because it doesn't happen too much, actually, because it's such a horrible thing, making false claims about performing military service, earning military awards or medals, being a prisoner of war, and other details that aren't true. I guess you could call this vicarious uh, stolen valor. Because Bo Biden, um, by the way, I have no beef with Bo, great guy, uh, by all accounts. His father is the one doing all the bragging. Isn't it good enough, Joe, that he served his country in Iraq? You have to make it sound like he died in Iraq. That's what you do. But he didn't. He didn't die in Iraq. This is when your son Bo was there. Let's see here. Between 2008 and 2009. When did he die? He died in 2015. Cancer in a hospital in Washington, D.C. The cancer he died from is geoblastoma, and there is no, non no known cause. They don't know why this cancer happens. Joe um, falsely does this routinely, that his son died in Iraq, and it's disgusting. I think in Iraq because that's where my son died. I say this as a father of a man who won the Broad Star, the Conspicuous Service Medal, and lost his life in Iraq. My son, who spent a year in Iraq and died, was a patriot. Stolen valor. That is a form of stolen valor. And I think we have to talk about this finally. It's okay. Again, no disrespect to Bo Biden, but most people, when they serve in the military, go in at their peak physical condition. For instance, after high school. This is when the bulk of people in the military join, join up. Or maybe after college, if they follow the officer track, they're 22 years old. This is a thing, though, that we're seeing more and more in political circles.
Bo Biden joined at the age of 34. He was a lawyer, and that's fine. We need military lawyers. But, you know, there's a political benefit to it. And when he was in Iraq, his father, for most of it, was vice president of the United States. Most people, when they serve, can't be visited by their vice president father, the deputy commander in chief. Um, and actually, I think Joe, having been the father of a service member, has given them this weird overconfidence when it comes to military affairs. And he doesn't seem sensitive to those who serve. My son died in Iraq. Get out of my way. Look at what happened when a veteran approached him during the campaign and had concerns about Joe's vote for the war in Iraq. Um, I'm an Air Force veteran, to follow all that this guy is saying i don't like your vote to authorize the invasion of iraq no weapons of mass destruction a lot of people died instead of defending his position uh, Joe says, my son died over there, and you better not mess with him, and walks away. This is an emotional ticket out of having to defend his, his vote. He does it for all kinds of things. And I think the troops ultimately are suffering. And those three soldiers who were killed in Jordan, you know, I can make the case that that is on Joe. He made this happen. His weak leadership, his canceling of anything Trump, right? He wants to be so different from Trump. Even the stuff that Trump was doing that was effective, he doesn't want any part of it. Remember this during the campaign? Joe went all over the place saying that we will go to electric. We're going to get off of fossil fuels. Found a, found a way to use this to get close to girls on the campaign trail. I mean, really close. Kiddo. I want you to just take a look, okay? You don't have to agree, but I want you to look in my eyes. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, we're going to end fossil fuel, and I am not going to cooperate with you, okay? You see? You don't have to get that close to say that, but look, he's actually kind of making good on this promise, the Keystone Pipeline, all kinds of other crazy policies, and antagonizing our allies who produce oil, like Saudi Arabia, this is another bonehead thing he said during the campaign. The CIA has concluded that the leader of Saudi Arabia directed the murder of U.S.-based journalist Jamal Khashoggi. The State Department also says the Saudi government is responsible for executing nonviolent offenders and for torture. President Trump has not punished senior Saudi leaders. Would you? Yes. And I said it at the time. Khashoggi was, in fact, murdered and dismembered. And I believe in the order of the crown prince. And I would make it very clear, we were not going to, in fact, sell more weapons to them. We were going to, in fact, make them pay the price and make them, in fact, the pariah that they are. 
China does things that are a thousand times worse than Saudi Arabia. Why is he so easy on China and so tough on Saudi Arabia? A key ally. They're not perfect, Saudi Arabia. No, but they got a lot of oil and they have supported us in the past. And we count on them and they are blowing us off because of Joe and his tough talk and a lot of other things. So Joe goes over there to meet with the man he called a murderer. <laughs> he didn't like that. Uh, the fist bump was seen as disrespectful. And when Joe asked for more oil, Saudi Arabia told us to get lost. See what you can do with your friends in Iran. Iran. <laughs> You'll remember that Trump had uh, pretty serious sanctions in place. The Biden team gets in there, lifts the sanctions, uh, gives them all kinds of money. The oil starts pumping. The money starts coming in from America. And then what does Iran do with all these billions of dollars that we've unfrozen? And that we're, well, they go to Hamas in Gaza and the Houthis in Yemen. And, well, you know what they, uh, the Hamas did, right? October 7th, that is on Joe. These policies led to the slaughter on October 7th. And ever since, the women, the children, and that little baby who's still in custody, that's on Joe, that one-year-old child. And right now he's trying to shut down the war, trying to shut it down before Israel does what it needs to do. This stuff is not just a game. It's real world. It really is. Sometimes we forget we can't, and he is depraved. Be right back. Federal agencies urge every family to have an emergency radio. During any disaster, electrical power may get cut. The emergency radio gives you the vital information you need. Newsmax wants you to have the Dynamo Emergency Band Radio. It doesn't need batteries and works in any emergencies. It retails for $30. You can get it with the free offer. Call or go online and get the emergency radio today. Your life may depend on it. You can't get that off. I'm going to make sure I have security because I know I have had attempts on my life and I have too much work to do. There are too many people that need help right now for me to, to allow that. So if I end up spending 200000 if I spend 10, 10, 10 more dollars on it, you know what? I get to be here to do the work. So suck it up and defunding the police has to happen. We need to defund the police and put that money into social safety nets because we're trying to save lives. Yes, yeah, suck it up. Cops don't get their money. I get my money for my brother. Uh, yeah, everybody in Washington, D.C. wants a security threat. And uh, because, well, then they can get bodyguards or whatever. Cori Bush, you may have heard, is now under investigation by the DOJ, the Federal Election Commission, the House Committee on Ethics. Uh, paid her husband, Courtney Merritt, with campaign funds to provide security. Husband does not hold any security licenses. Uh, forgive me, not her brother, her husband. Okay, not the brother. Um, look. There are ways to do this. Everybody in Washington does it. And you got to be smart about it, though, right? You can't be so obvious. Like Eric Adams, our goofy mayor here in New York City. He wasn't subtle about it either and got himself kind of caught. And sweet deal went away. 
my brother is qualified uh, for the position. Uh, number one, he will be in charge of my security, uh, which is extremely important to me in a time when we see an increase in white supremacy and hate crimes. I have to take my secur security in a very serious way. White supremacy. Remember that one? <laughs> anyway, his brother tried to hook his brother up with a sweet $200,000 a year plus job, but it turned out he didn't know anything about security, knew all kinds of things about parking lots. Uh, look. You can hook up your family in the swamp. You just got to be smart about it. Like these swamp people, like Ron Klain, the former chief of staff to uh, Joe Biden. Uh, yeah, you can get your family members jobs. It's all swampy. It's all there's a way to do these things. You just got to be smart about it. You got to have the right resume too. Jen Psaki, the communications director. Uh, Stephanie, her sister. Did you know she had a sister? Had a big job over at the Health and Human Services. So that brings me to the master of all this, Joe Biden. Uh, Joe has a way of getting his family members sweet jobs and maybe just maybe 10 percent for the big guy. That is Valerie Biden. And did you know his sister, his little sister, has been running every single one of his campaigns since 1972? I mean, not just stuffing envelopes and, you know, knocking on doors. Vote for my brother. I mean, running the campaign, each campaign all the way up through 2008 when he ran for president. So that means she was running the show and getting paid a lot of money when Joe ran for president the first time in 1987. Hi, I'm Valerie Biden Owens, and I am the sister of the next Democratic nominee for president of the United States. You know, I've never heard anybody introduce a candidate like that. Usually you say my brother or, you know, the next president of the United States, kind of like they knew they weren't going to win, kind of like maybe this was a money making operation. Hmm? All right. Let's see. Uh, in 2008, when Joe ran for president, she was out there and kind of desperate. When I go out and I'm a, a, all the, the surrogates, you know, we get so excited and we say, you know, you've got to elect. I say you've got to elect my brother president of the United States. I mean, you just got to do it. I've got bills to pay. You got to do it. And then he gets the big nod from Barack Obama himself. What was he thinking? Uh, the family hit the jackpot when Joe became vice president. We want to introduce to you now Valerie Biden Owens, who is no stranger to Biden family politics, the sister of Senator Joe Biden. You've been involved in his campaign since he first ran for county council in Delaware. What's what's this moment like for your family? Uh, well, it is absolutely thrilling. I mean, he's uh, he's just a, a great, wonderful man and a, and a good leader. And I think he's the right guy to help uh, Obama and for uh, leading us in a new direction. Wouldn't it have been better if you just said jackpot, we hit the jackpot? Because they did. This is where real money kicks in. And um, that stuff about Hunter and how smart Hunter is, right? And Hunter is the smartest guy in the world. Why would he say that? One more time. Why would he say that? Take a look. He did say it. We have great confidence in our son. Uh, I am not concerned about any accusations been made against him. It's used to get to me. I think it's kind of foul play, but uh, look, it is what it is. And uh, he's a grown man. He is the smartest man I know. I mean, in pretty pure intellectual capacity. Um, and, uh, and as long as he's good, we're good. 
All right. Also, let it be known that he was the last man he talked to before he went to bed and took those weird pictures, had some photographer take pictures of them all huggy and weird at a photo studio. I mean, I love my dad, but we're not going to the photo studio doing this kind of stuff. Why? This is a commercial. If you want, if you want to get something done, see Hunter, right? And they were very, very careful. That's why when you ask Joe about this, he gets very upset because it was all meticulously kind of handled and you know, nobody should be able to catch us on anything because technically we're not doing anything wrong. Hunter Biden, your son, was getting paid a lot of money to serve on the board of a Ukrainian energy company facing serious corruption charges. You were the vice president running point on Ukraine. The average Joe hears that and says, that sounds fishy. What's your understanding of what your son was doing for an extraordinary amount of money? I don't know what he was doing. I know he was on the board. I found out he was on the board after he was on the board. And that was it. And there's nobody... Well, you've had a lot of time. Isn't this something you want to get to the bottom of? No, because I trust my son. But that doesn't pass the smell test. Like, when you're vice president, isn't there a higher standard? Don't you need to know what's happening with your family? Don't you need to put down some guardrails? Unless there was something that was... There was something on its face that was wrong. There's nothing on its face that was wrong. So, look, if you want to talk about problems, you know, let's talk about Trump's family. I mean, come on. On its face, that was wrong, but there was nothing wrong. On its face, it was wrong, huh? And he trusts his son at this point. At that point, Hunter had a raging addiction to crack cocaine. This is right there. Why isn't a prosecutor picking this stuff and running with it? Guys are amazing. So you think that everything that happened was kosher? You know there's not one single bit of evidence, not one little tiny bit. To suggest anything done was wrong. You know that. I can't stand the arrogance, can you? Anyway, we're running out of time. Is Joe really going to get away with it? I don't think so. Be right back. Elon Musk is a groundbreaking genius. He moved money with PayPal, moves people with Tesla, and he's shaking up the cosmos with SpaceX. Musk doesn't just think outside the box. He's masterminding the future. Watch Elon Musk aiming for the stars. So I did not know this. 19 states allow for ballots to be accepted after Election Day. Uh, that does not sound right, and it sounds like we could have a lot of problems this November. Uh, there are lawsuits, Republican lawsuits, challenging these late-arrival uh, ballot deadlines. Rob Astorino was the very successful county executive of Westchester here in New York, ran for governor, challenged the very powerful Andrew Cuomo, came very close to dethroning that guy. And now he's here at Newsmax. you got to check out his show, Saturday Agenda, from 1 to 3 o'clock. Rob Astorino, welcome. And uh, yikes, 19 states allow for ballots to be accepted after Election Day. That sounds uh, like it should be illegal. Well, so here's the deal, right? You've got North Dakota and Mississippi, the RNC and state parties in North Dakota and Mississippi have filed a federal lawsuit. Here's what they want. They're saying Congress sets the first Tuesday after the first Monday, the Tuesday after the first Monday in November as Election Day. And so nothing should happen after that. But what we've had really with early voting, some states 
50 days, 45 days, 40 days, 30 days before an election, send ballots out. So you really have two months of election day. Here's the problem. They don't want it extended till after, right? Ballots that are postmarked by election day. So the voter has filled out his ballot properly, you assume, puts it in the mail, and it gets there after election day. Should those be counted or not? A federal judge is going to have to decide yes or no. Now, if there's no postmark and it comes in after Election Day or something is turned in by somebody after Election Day, there's no question that should never count. The question, though, is what happens if somebody in the military in Guam fills out a ballot three weeks before, but they never receive it till after Election Day? Or you have something like an affidavit ballot where somebody goes to their polling place, their canvasser says, you're not on the list, but they say, I am a registered voter. So what they do is they'll fill out like an emergency ballot. And that is handed in afterwards and counted potentially after Election Day. So I can see in many cases where you could disenfranchise people who properly did it and it wasn't received. Uh, but, of course, you can have nefarious actions with all of this mail-in. And that really is the issue, whether we should have all this paper flying through the mail in the first place. Well, I think uh, going to the polls is kind of the thing to do. I prefer that. Yeah. Hey, one thing about the military, um, uh, uh, you know, voting from Guam. Remember this, they have post offices on bases and they even have post offices on ships. I remember that in 2000. Everybody was saying, well, we got to accept these things uh, no matter when they get here. I didn't like that. I think they were being deceptive. Hey, what about Zuckerberg? He gave a lot of money, $350 million the last time around to various primarily left-leaning um, organizations and counties. Is he poised to do the same thing again? Zuckerberg, yeah, that's a lot of money. It was legal, but it re a lot of us think it tilted the election big time because uh, he was obviously greasing the wheels for the left. Oh, there's no question. I mean, it was election interference because here's what they do, and they're going to do it again, and this time they've got the imprimatur of FEMA, and here's the scheme. So FEMA in this infrastructure bill gets hundreds of millions of dollars and they dedicate as a, as a, a critical service, not flood mitigation, but election and election day. So then they have all this money and they hire Zuckerberg's group, the Center for Tech and Civic Life, to administer this grant program. They then hand it out to the left wing groups who in turn also hire people to work at government-run boards of elections to not administer an election, really, but to help get out the vote. That is not what government should be doing. Government should be making sure it's a fair process and that people are registered to vote. So now they're going to areas like, oh, I don't know, Democratic cities, and knocking on doors, making sure people fill out their applications for paper ballots, making sure they're going out to vote. Uh, nonprofits, their staffing organizations. So they're definitely getting involved in elections and they're definitely tilting it towards Democratic areas. It is, it is a shadow election system and it should be banned. It should be banned and it should be, I mean, my goodness gracious, FEMA can't even handle floods and the stuff it's <laughs> supposed flood. to do. And now right. they're messing with elections. All right, well, we got to stay on this. Rob Astorino, thank you so much. Well explained. I got it. Uh, tune in Saturday at 1 o'clock for Rob's show. Many thanks, sir. Thanks, Greg. I just want to find uh, 11,780 votes, which is one more than we have, 
because we won the state. I only need 11,000 votes. Fellas, I need 11,000 votes. Give me a break. <laughs> a totally reasonable thing to do if you were a candidate and you think those votes might be out there. He didn't say make them. He said uh, find them. It's not illegal. Uh, you know who was on that call? Our next guest, Cleta Mitchell. Uh, listen to this. She was on that very phone call. Hi, Cleta. We want to hear that uh, this portion, though, first. <laughs> the court is not acting on our petition. They haven't even assigned a judge. But the people of Georgia and the people of America have a right to know the answers. And you have data and records that we don't have access to. Cleta, uh, you're the senior legal fellow at the Conservative Partnership Institute and uh, also chair of the Election Integrity Network. And you were on that very fine phone call, and it was a very fine phone call. Look, I don't know if you caught Rob's uh, report, but how worried should we be that the Democrats are going to be up to some games this time around? Well, we should be worried about that. I've spent the last uh, three years uh, working on election integrity. I founded the Election Integrity Network, which is a network of local coalitions and task forces and states all over the country, helping train citizens as to how they can become involved in overseeing their local and state election operations. Because just as parents have learned that they need to be at the school board meetings, they need to be see what's going see, they need to be seeing what's in their school libraries, they need to watch the curriculum, et cetera. Uh, we as citizens need to be at those election offices. We need to be paying attention to who's infiltrating the election offices. So uh, I, I am very worried that if citizens are not engaged as poll observers, as being involved in looking at voter rolls and all the things that need to be done before the election, that the left will have the field to themselves again as they did in 2020. I don't think that's going to happen. We have too many people all over the country who've been paying a lot of attention and working very hard for the last three years. So I'm, I believe that we're trying to identify the threats and trying to address them ahead of time and not wake up the morning after the election and say, oh, my gosh, what just happened? OK, well, I like it that we got people, uh, you know, out there proactively looking at this stuff. Hey, what about if you had the option of voting early? Should you should you take that option? I see on the Republican National Committee's website they have a whole thing about bank the vote, which is not exactly a, a phrase that people are familiar with. At least I haven't heard it much. But mail in if you can. Is is that advisable? If, if you have a choice, what difference does it make? Does it make a difference? I would not vote by mail unless I literally had no other option, because people don't realize how many hands touched their ballot after they put it in the mail. Let's start with the Postal Service. And all of the things that can happen, if you make a mistake on your ballot, there's nobody there to help you correct it right then and there. So then you have people that you've never met adjudicating, trying to determine what your intent was. And we have seen so many instances where those adjudication panels are supposed to be bipartisan and they're not. So I'm just saying, for my purposes, I believe vote in person the first day that you can vote in person. Cast your, go get your ballot, go vote at a polling place where you can actually put your ballot into the tabulator. And, and I, I do that the very first day it's open so that I can make sure that I've claimed my vote and claimed my ballot. But we call it vote in person first day, VIP one, 
And I know the RNC is pushing this bank your vote, vote by mail. I'm not going to, I just can't urge people to do that because I think that there's too much voting by mail. I call it unsupervised voting. There are too many ways that your ballot uh, can fall by the wayside or your intent is not carried out. I wouldn't do it. I won't do it unless I had absolutely no other alternative. If they mess with my vote, oh boy, oh boy. I mean, exactly. my goodness. You, and, that, you, and you just don't even know. You don't, people don't have any idea. The that was a threat. I, we're getting, we, we have an idea. Oh boy. We, uh, Cleta Mitchell, thank you very much. Conservative Partnership Institute, CPI.org. Thank, thank you. Thank you. you all, all the best. We'll be right back. This last question I'm taking. You can decide who I'm pointing to. No wonder the president hates press conferences. Newsmax's Chris Platt takes a fun look at Joe Biden's dodges, deflections, and biggest gaffes. Watch the Biden Chronicles, Press and Pratt Falls. Michelle Obama, where is she? Does anybody care? She's out on some island. Uh, she's got lots and lots of money, but there is a persistent rumor going around that Democrats. Well, they know that Joe can't make it to the finish line, so they'll replace him with her. Could it happen? This has been around for a while, but there seems to be some renewed interest in the topic and murmurings that it's really going to happen. Nobody knows this story better than our next guest, Joel Gilbert. He actually made a film and a uh, wrote a book about this very topic, Michelle Obama, 2024. He has studied Michelle. He's talked with members of her family, including her mother. And he believes that this could happen and probably will happen. Joel Gilbert, welcome back to Newsmax. How are you? And uh, maybe you're the one who uh, deserves credit for all this buzz. I'm not saying you're pushing your candidacy, but people are talking about it perhaps like never before. Have you noticed? Yeah, I've noticed that. I think it's tied to the fact also of how poorly Joe Biden is doing and how poorly he's looking how poorly the results are in the economy, the border, wars abroad. There's now a clear consensus, not only among Republicans, but certainly among Democrats, that he's going to drag down the ticket and has a very big chance of losing. We've heard Obama, Axelrod, everybody commenting that they think Joe's not going to make it and that Trump is going to win. So there's a renewed interest in, I think, Michelle Obama as the most popular Democrat, the most beloved Democrat. And I've set out the case of why I think she's really been preparing to re replace Biden. All right. So, look, the, 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 what people say, people in the know, well, she hates politics. She has absolutely no interest in any of this. And and your film and your uh, book, you blow that out of the water. Yeah, I do. I mean, look, uh, Michelle is from a political family. People don't know that her father was a precinct captain in Chicago. Michelle grew up in Jesse Jackson's house. He, she was best friends with his daughter, Santita, growing up when he was running for president. Michelle was in politics 20 years before Barack. Uh, Michelle worked for the mayor of Chicago, uh, Mayor Richard Daley, assistant planning commissioner. Michelle said she fell in love with Barack because he gave a political speech. So she married a politician. So Michelle is actually a better politician than Barack, a better speaker. She comes across more authentic. And re we remember when she said, oh, I hate politics. I just want to be the mom in chief. That's because she was so over the top political. She said, for the first time in my life, I'm proud of my country. She got so much backlash, she decided to take a step back. But in reality, she's a political animal, as Aristotle uh, would have called her. Now, uh, a few weeks ago, maybe months, a video came out. She was promoting, you know, I don't know, it's some sort of 
initiative with the community, right? And uh, I, I, I didn't pay much attention, but I see it in a new light now. Let's uh, take a look at that, please. Chicago is the place that made me who I am. It's the place that shaped me, developed my self-confidence, helped me discover my voice. There's an energy to this city that's like no other, an energy that lifts up, inspires, and nurtures. I learned community here. I learned all the things I know about being human from this place, this city, this culture. But also, I know these girls, right? I know what they're going through. I know what it feels to be raised in communities where you know you're smart and you know you're special because when you are, you're born with it and you know it. And that's why I couldn't. All right, be more so this goes on for a while. And, and you know, Joel, I, know, I thought she was going to say something about barriers and uh, being held back and that kind of thing, and, and she didn't. And it's very general and kind of vague, all that stuff about learning how to be a human being. What do you notice there, and what should we, what's, the real, what's going on here? Well, she's trying very desperately to establish her connection to the black community in Chicago, because in reality, she had no connection. She was not a member of the black community. She's not even from south, uh, south side of Chicago, like she claimed. She's from an upper middle class area in South Shore. And her childhood, she had a lot of problems with the black community. The black kids rejected her. She had no black friends. She refused to study at South Shore High School, one block from her home, her and her brother. Her brother went to a Catholic school, even though they weren't Catholic. Michelle went to a magnet school. And she even writes about getting beat up by a black girl who called her an Oreo, which is a racial insult. It means you're black on the outside, but white on the inside. So Michelle had no connection to the black community as a kid, but she wants to fake that she had one to get political power. I'm just one of you ordinary folks from the, from the South side, which she's not. Uh, that's what she's trying to establish. Look, she did another podcast last week where she said, government does everything for us and trickle down doesn't work. Those are these socialist code words for uh, socialism. The government does everything and the free market system doesn't work. So she, I think she's just being political. She's trying to establish some street cred because she has no street cred. And is there any indication that she's staffing up, that there's something happening to actually, you know, a lot of stuff has to happen when you're running for president. Is any of that stuff coming together now? Well, not for Michelle Obama. The Obamas have something called Organizing for America. It's a nationwide organization. Michelle has her voter registration group called When We All Vote. She got 26 million bucks from George Soros for it. So with a flip of a switch, Michelle could have an entire organization ready to roll for her within a week uh, and have $100 million in the bank. So she's that popular. She's the most popular person in the country, and she's a pop culture phenomenon. She can run a campaign and fill up stadiums on very short notice. Stay tuned, huh? Uh, and, and very quickly, you think it's harder for Trump to beat her? I don't know if I agree with that. I think, I think Trump could beat her almost, I don't know. I, I have a feeling Trump can take her. What do you think? Well, she brings enthusiasm. There's no enthusiasm for people to come out and vote for Joe Biden, but there's tremendous enthusiasm. The people will wait in line to vote for Michelle Obama. She'll appeal to nostalgia. Remember how much you love the Obama years? We didn't have any scandals. So I think she'd be a formidable opponent, and uh, Trump is going to have to, I think, expose her biggest vulnerability, which is her terrible relationship with the black community in Chicago, both growing up and as an executive, where I make the case that she exploited the black community on behalf of white liberals in her career in Chicago.
You got to check out uh, his book and movie, uh, Michelle Obama 2024, and his Twitter, at Joel S. Gilbert, Joel S. Gilbert on Twitter. Joel, many, many thanks. Very interesting indeed. We'll Thank right you. Back. You bet. Hey, it's Tony Marino, host of the wildly popular Newsmax Daily podcast, available for free along with Jerry Callahan, Rob Carson, and other great podcasts at Newsmax.com slash listen or wherever you get podcasts. Guess who goes to jail? Little sequence, you know, I've been hearing about the two-tiered system of justice, two-tiered system of justice. And I know there is one, but sometimes that phrase doesn't resonate as much as it should. But there really is a two-tiered system. It is totally warped and corrupt and wrong. Take a look at this. This is what I'm getting at. Uh, Two scenarios, A and B. A, New York City police getting beaten by illegal immigrants. B, in Nashville, Pro-life demonstrators hanging around a hallway, singing and praying. Who went to jail? Who faces real jail time? Hmm? What happened as a result? (laughs) All of them released without bail about 90 minutes later after they were apprehended by the cops. The people (laughs) at that pro-life, what was it? It wasn't a demonstration. They were hanging out in a hallway They could go to jail for 11 years. They're in big, big trouble. It is a federal case. Next, take a look. On the left, we have arson, a Wendy's in Atlanta destroyed. On the right, you got January 6th and the Horns guy, who did not break anything and did not hurt anybody. How did this go down, huh? Who's in more trouble? Who went to jail? Well, the people who burned that thing down on purpose, $500 fine, 150 hours of community service, no time in jail. As for the Horns guy, he did like, he did hard time in federal prison. Again, he didn't hurt anybody and he didn't break anything. And there's all kinds of evidence to back that up. They didn't let him see all of the evidence. A real sham. Let's do one more. All right. Uh, Let's see. Who went to jail? See the guy on the right? He's terrorizing people with an axe and destroying the inside of a McDonald's. The guy on the left, he was another pro-life demonstrator who bumped into somebody, literally bumped into somebody. That's it. The guy makes a federal case out of it. The SWAT team shows up. You know about this one, right? He faced federal assault charges. It totally turned his life upside down. A jury saw right through it and acquitted him. But the guy on the right, the one who destroyed (laughs) and terrified people with an axe, released without bail the next day and later got into trouble throughout New York. He's at at this moment. He's not incarcerated, uh, according to reports. That is a two tiered system of justice. And that, I hope, really makes sense. Uh, All right. Also, this, you know, they talk about political rhetoric. Um, the political rhetoric, folks, that we have to worry about is not the political rhetoric from Trump. Everybody says, oh, if only Trump would improve his tone. Not him. It's Democrats and the media. They're the t- that tone is dangerous. There's a clear and present danger. Democrats painting a damning picture of a lawless president. Donald Trump is a clear and present danger to our country. Now they understand what uh, so many of us have been saying for so long. And that is that uh, Donald Trump presents a clear and present danger and that he is a national security threat. 
That's been said many, many times, even by federal judges. Sounds, sounds dramatic. I don't think she actually knows what it means, but it means technically that you can suspend the law to neutralize the threat. Clear and present danger it goes back to some case in World War I. I believe they are coming up with a scenario where they could justify doing something, who knows what, to Donald Trump. They know the indictments, they know the trials are not working. Clear and present danger, that means you can violate the law to eliminate the threat. That is dangerous, and they are the ones who need to cool it. Also, one of the lawyers who was going after Trump in the E. Jean Carroll case, she said something that uh, I didn't notice at first, but um, now I see something in it. This is Roberta Kaplan. Judge Kaplan, no relation, <laughs> uh, is one of the most respected judges uh, in New York City. All his rulings were completely appropriate. The rules are the rules. He followed the rules, and now Donald Trump and Ms. Hobb are going to have to follow the rules, and that's what the appellate court's going to say as well. The rules. The rules, the rules, the rules. The rules said that Donald Trump could not introduce any evidence that might undermine the credibility of E. Jean Carroll. You know, when she said rape is sexy and the name of her dog and vandalizing the forest and uh, saying that she's a fan of The Apprentice, all that stuff could not be submitted by Donald Trump. Those are the rules, the rules. She didn't say law. Isn't that interesting? The rules are the rules and you got to follow the rules. But what about the law? Huh? I think that's significant. I'll be right back. You know, folks, I thank God for my wonderful wife, my kids, my country, the greatest nation ever. And Americans like you who believe in the truth, The Chris Salcedo Show will never stop fighting for you. The Chris Salcedo Show, for the news you need to know. You saw E. Jean Carroll, her silly plans about how she wants to spend the money she hasn't gotten yet, the $83 million. You've talked about using some of... Trump's money that you're about to get um, to help shore up women's rights. Do you know what that might be, what that might look like? Yes, or, Rachel. Or, yes. Tell me. I had such, such great ideas <laughs> for all the good I'm going to do with this money. First thing, Rachel, you and I are going to go shopping. We're going to get completely <laughs> new wardrobes, new shoes, motorcycle for Crowley, new fishing rod for Robbie. Rachel, what do you want? Penthouse? It's yours, Nothing. Rachel. Penthouse and uh, France? You want France? You want to go fishing nope. in France? No? Oh. All right. All right. Okay. That's a joke. <laughs> You know, a lot of people, if they got $83 million, would kind of just retire from everything and spend money wildly. That's not Donald Trump. $83 million, if he's worth $4 billion, I think that would be, what, 1 40th of his net worth or something like that, or maybe less? I don't know. Uh, he works. He works and works and works. He could be doing silly things, doing a million other things, but he's not. He's doing this. And... I think that's very, very impressive. And I actually think we're very lucky. And I know I'm lucky. Take a look at this. Went on a scooter with my daughter the other day. She did most of the riding. Check her out. This is a great big uh, concourse, a mall in lower Manhattan. And she was great in it. That's little Annalise. She's three. And she's great on that scooter. Uh, thank you all. I'll see you tomorrow.